Welcome to Pre-K Spot Talks. I am Melissa, your host and the founder of Pre-K Spot, the spot for early childhood educators to open up their teaching. I am your guide down the open-ended child-led teaching path, and together we will explore strategies and ideas so that you may open up your teaching to less stress, more engagement, and an overall joyful child-led classroom. Hey, hey, welcome to this week's episode, which is all about cross-area play and classroom mess. Cross-area play and mess kind of go hand-in-hand, so we're going to touch on both topics today. First, what is cross-area play? Cross-area play was dubbed this name, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's letting kids take materials anywhere across the room so that they can be played with. Oftentimes, this is something that's not allowed in a lot of classrooms. Blocks belong in the block area, kitchen belongs in the kitchen area, dramatic play belongs in the dramatic play area, and so on and so on. You hear me. But here's my challenge to you. Why does it need to be that way? Why do we need to keep everything in one area? I know sometimes lots of teachers will add some accessories or different items into the block area so they can be added to the blocks. But what are we really telling children by telling them that certain things belong in certain areas and only certain extra things can go in certain extra areas. Are we stopping their creativity? Are we stopping their flow of play? Maybe not all the time, but how much further could they go if they were just allowed the freedom and exploration of taking things wherever they wanted? I was really excited when I found a quick article on NACI about cross-area play because this is the way that my classroom is set up. My classroom is set up in areas for things like Eckers and class when they come in and they want to see these distinctions. But on a regular basis, it's just set up for free play. We might call things block area or imagination play or carpet area or tables or loose parts shelf just to help organization. This way, you know, labeling things and telling children where things go creates routine, creates stability, and there's a lot to it. However, they know that pretty much anything they take out can go anywhere in the room depending on what they're playing. Obviously, there are some limitations. Let's just set up some bumpers first before we dive really deep. Are we going to let take kids take wooden toys and put them in the sink or in the sensory table? Absolutely not. Are we going to allow kids to stomp on other people's things or throw things across the room or things like that? No way. But in the spirit of free play, why wouldn't we allow children to take things wherever they wanted? In this article from NACI, one of the reasons they say cross-area play is a really great thing is because it helps children make unusual and unexpected connections that can promote creativity. It encourages development across multiple domains as children think, create, communicate, persist, problem-solve, and collaborate. It fosters confidence and helps children set up follow rules in their play with others. And it creates more fluid, engaging classroom spaces. That last one is my favorite one. This is a goal that I aim for every year that I set up my classroom. And as time has gone on, I have created a really fluid flow across the room. And I just absolutely love the creativity and play and interrelationships that it creates. Cross-area play can be really rooted in loose parts play. When loose parts become a really mainstay in your classroom, you're going to get a lot of cross-area play because children need things 
to be other things. They need to add these loose parts and turn them into things to create their play. One of the other things that I've done to help promote cross-area play is my imagination play area does not have play food. We do not have money in our play register. We only have plates, pots and pans, some babies, and some material. This way, the children can take loose parts or anything else across the classroom to create what they want. When they want a restaurant, they go over and take the treat cookies and create soup or cookies or pancakes, which has been a popular one lately, into their restaurant food. Then sometimes they take out the fabric and they lay it out on top of uh, blocks that they've built into a table. Then they take paper and create menus and signs. And suddenly you have all of these things from different areas of the classroom creating a restaurant. And you have like six kids in there all participating in different roles. Being open to cross-area play can really help build relationships because children get to add their own little bits and pieces. There's not so much of a limitation of it being one certain thing and being run by one child. Now, does that always happen if you have designated areas? Not always, but it can create that where having things more open into cross-area doesn't always limit it. Now, in the article, some of the things that get in the way of cross-area play are classroom evaluation standards, something I brought up earlier. Marketing influences. I mean, when you're going shopping someplace online or the some of our favorite teacher stores, they're marketing certain shelves for certain ideas. Now, of course, those things are totally helpful, but who says that you have to actually use that for that exact idea? We all know that. We all know kids love to play with a box, and before you know it, it turns into something else. So why should we think about our classrooms that way? We really want to open up our thinking and our mindset around that. This also goes along with traditional classroom layouts. You know, this is baked into traditional teaching. If you're going to go a little bit more progressive and open it up again, again, it's about the mindset. Why do we have to have designated areas? Why can't we create more open space for the children? And then the final barrier they name is beliefs about messy play. Oof, this is my favorite one, and this is why I'm talking about cross-area play and mess. We will get to mess later, but I know oftentimes mess can be a big barrier to a lot of exploring and creativity for a lot of people, and I get it. Mess does not feel good. So before we get into mess and how to manage the mess in the classroom, especially a mess from cross-area play, Let's talk a little bit about what cross-area play looks like within the classroom. We mentioned a little bit before, but one of my children's favorite ways this year to use cross-area play is to add loose parts to their block area. My loose parts shelf is situated smack in the middle of the room, and that is for a purpose. This way, this one shelf can be accessed from any point in the classroom, and especially more so the block area. The block area is right next to it and it's so accessible so the kids are always grabbing something to add to all of their beautiful structures and towers and then sometimes they'll add people sometimes the loose parts will be people or sometimes they'll be cars or sometimes they'll just be decorations who knows my kids have stacked mini cups balancing rocks cuisinaire rods rocks shells sticks all in the block area Sometimes they like to build something, then dump a bunch of stuff inside, and then all of a sudden there's a surprise. That one's not a fun one to clean up, but it's been so good for their imagination and their creativity when it comes to block building. Sometimes the kids take the loose parts and have an idea 
to build over them, and then sometimes the kids build and then add later. So I also uh, mentioned imagination play, which is where the loose parts end up a lot because there's no food, there's no money, there's none of that stuff. They have to create it on their own from loose parts. I often have children taking uh, the bottles or tins that we have, all recycled, and filling them up with loose parts. Filling, 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 all the way up to the brim. So not only are they learning about how to fill things up and what fits and what doesn't and what comes out of a bottle and what won't, because sometimes it'll go in, but it will not come out. So they've got math going on. And then they're also creating and using their imagination on what those items are becoming. Another favorite is something that my children have to learn, but they almost always end up taking the loose parts and trying to add them to their art projects. When I see my kids doing this, I usually tell them, please put the loose parts back because those are not meant for art. But I keep extra so that we can turn their idea into art. Because of course, if they use all the loose parts in art, we won't have any loose parts left. So I always keep extra and then I allow the kids to uh, do art with them if that's what they so choose. Another favorite is to add things into and on top of magnetiles. Because you can make those beautiful little boxes out of magnetiles, and then children love to put things inside of them. And that's where loose parts really come in handy. They also make really great additions to the sensory table. Sometimes I'll choose to what to put inside, but sometimes it's usually just me putting a tool in, and then the children add whatever else they want to add. For example, recently I had sand in the table, so I just put some shovels and some cups, And then before I knew it, there were also rocks, corks, and sticks inside. And the children are using those to bury and dig and fill up the cups. It was really wonderful. And then when we do fill it up with something else, there's more loose parts that children can add. This also helps them figure out what sinks or floats and what is able to go into the water and not. Because as I mentioned before, are we going to let them take like wooden blocks or things that aren't meant for the water and stick them in the water? No way, because then it ruins the material. But they can also learn that, right? So if they ask me to put something in, I'm going to say no because, or if they do put something in and they realize that it gets ruined, they've learned another lesson that way. Cross-area play really helps expand children's mind and help them understand that just basically anything can be a material. This really fits in with my philosophy of open-ended play where I have promoted the fact that anything can be a material. So why not let it? It doesn't pigeonhole things or put things into little boxes to help children think outside the box. This way nothing belongs to a certain area and that way you never know what kind of inspiration the children may have or even you when you see the way that they're using them. They can end up creating new challenges, balancing things, fitting things, measuring things, touching things, stacking things, so many different things. Make such rich, deep, rigorous play when you are open to cross-area play that you're going to be meeting your standards and you're going to be seeing the academic learning that people want to see within that kind of play when you're allowing these things to go everywhere. This way, children can reach it naturally instead of it being set up for them. And in the article, the authors offer a lot of great suggestions for being able to open up your room a little bit more to cross-area play. Of course, it all really starts with your mindset, as I mentioned before. But if you're there in the mindset, here's a little bit of the how. Some of their suggestions are to map out your current learning centers and materials typical for each area. Introduce materials to unexpected places. Connect multiple centers or interest areas with a single material. Create elements of surprise. Create mobile centers that can easily be moved around your room. P.S., which is what I totally do with my art stuff. It's all on a cart. 
Rearrange your room so that your centers are open to each other. Another thing that I absolutely do. Involve children in the design of new centers. Inspire new connections. And encourage creativity, not chaos. Now, this is a really wonderful one because just because there's a lot more free play or you're opening up your mindset to cross-area play, open-ended play, play play-based learning, and child-led learning does not mean that it is chaos. I've said this before and I will continue to say it. Free play does not mean the children are running around acting like total animals. There is a method to the madness and this is one of the things that you can do when you are set up for a certain kind of way. It promotes that kind of way, whether that be traditional teaching or progressive teaching, whether you are keeping things in one area or allowing cross-area play. You have to be set up right for it, and it will not be chaos. You can find the article linked in my show notes. So now that we've talked about cross-area play, what it looks like, and how to get into it a little bit, let's talk about the mess. Ooh, a mess in the classroom. I have a super duper high tolerance for mess. I have to admit, I am a type B person. I am not the neatest person. I'm organized, but I definitely have like a pile of laundry all the time. Don't love clutter, not my favorite thing, but it also doesn't hurt me to have clutter out and see it. So a mess in the classroom really doesn't bother me. We are organized. We are labeled. We put everything away to be safe and to be clean. But when it is free play time, you are going to walk in to something that may make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. There will be materials all over the floor. There will be materials and paper all across the tables. I do not make my children clean up from center to center or choice to choice because it could really stop their flow of play. This also matches with cross area play. Maybe they need to go get something across the room. Doesn't mean they're going to put away everything in one area. Or maybe they want to go get something else. And things are really going to end up everywhere. So really what you have to do is have a really great cleanup system and a lot of time. These are the two things that I allow my children. And we offer them a lot of support. So some of the ideas that we use to clean up the room are a cleanup song. Not just the regular cleanup song that everybody sings, but we vote and pick on a regular pop song or something that they really, really love from like a movie or something like that. And when the song is on, you are cleaning up always. If the song is off, then you know that you're done. The song becomes the cue. And it's been really, really helpful. Not only does it provide children with a little bit of entertainment while they're cleaning, they use it, like I said, as the cue. Another thing that we have done, also depending on the group, is cleanup zones. My room is basically zoned into four areas. There's the carpet, the block area, tables, and imagination play. So I put different groups of students onto those areas, no matter who has played with what or where they played. Everybody knows that we all take care of our classroom and we all clean up everything so that we can have a safe, organized space to learn in. So it really doesn't matter who played where. And they learn this from the very first day of school. So if you have a cleanup zone, no matter where you're playing, when the cleanup song comes on, you go straight to your cleanup zone and you help your group clean up that area. And then from there, if you clean up really quickly, you go and you help other zones. We are also always there to support the children. They're young. They don't like to clean up. And when you allow long cleanup times, especially when there's a bigger mess, which often happens with cross-area play, you have to be there to support them. So a lot of the times I'm running around saying, oh, Lulu, go grab 
this button. Oh, Jackie, go grab those magnetiles. Or Zach, go grab these blocks. We also save things. This really helps with cleanup, and it really allows children to go back to their work. And so we save artwork in mailboxes. We save block structures. We save imagination play structures. We save magnetile structures if we can. Sometimes we have to think about building onto a carryable tray first, and sometimes we forget that. But we save anything that we can that is a structure, Lego, magnetiles, marble maze, And this really allows the children to only have to clean up the things that are not being used. And this saves time, effort, and arguments. (laughs) Another thing that we do to clean up is something that we call cleanup stories. And it's basically a comic strip style story on one piece of paper that shows how to clean up a certain item. So there might be something for blocks. And of course, blocks, there's... 8 million other different ways that you can clean up blocks, which maybe I'll touch on um, after we talk about this. So the comic stories will tell us exactly what to do in the block area. It'll tell us exactly what to do in imagination play. It will tell us exactly what to do at the tables and kind of a how-to so the children have some more autonomy and can take care of things on their own by looking at the cleanup story. Another thing that we've done and... I am actually currently using because my children really need it to kind of re-norm is I take video of them cleaning up and I take pictures and we put that up on the board for them to see after, before, and sometimes during. At the end of the day, we have a closing circle and I'll share um, I'll share pictures of things that they've done that day so they can be inspired and remember. And sometimes those will be cleanup videos so they can see how to clean up things. A lot of the times, it's just kids don't really want to, or they're just getting tired, and so you kind of have to push them along, but they can get it done. At this point in the year, we can make a total mess and be done cleaning up in 10 minutes. In the beginning of the year, sometimes it takes like 20, um, but it really just depends on what they've taken out and what they haven't. I also have a few kids who tend to be experts or masters at cleaning up certain things, and so I'll have those kids do the job of resorting loose parts. And sometimes we just have to come together as a group and take some time to just do an activity like sorting loose parts. You know, you put one child on each item and then they end up putting them back in the basket. And then that way it just doesn't feel like such a drag. It's an activity. Sorting is really important. And before you know it, you've got everything cleaned up. So I know I said that I would touch on blocks. So let's talk about blocks a little bit. Cleaning up the block area. We do not clean up our block area every day. Sometimes we don't even clean it up in a week. But what the children do have to do every single day and every single cleanup time is clean up the loose blocks. Loose blocks are basically anything that is not inside of a structure, obviously not inside of a structure. Sometimes kids can make something and lay it out on the ground and it's actually a structure, but you can't tell. And sometimes, unfortunately, we have to know that to not clean it up. But obviously, sometimes there's a giant pile of blocks because something fell over And those are loose blocks. And so every day we clean up the loose blocks so that the structures are there, but we can still walk around them and we're not looking at a giant mess. Another way that we like to clean up blocks is to sometimes do stacks of three. So you'll stack up three blocks, all the same shape, and put them all in stacks of three and then put the stacks away. Sometimes if we have a larger mess to clean up, 
I will call children over to the block area to clean up a certain number of blocks or clean up for two or three minutes, uh, kind of like we would do small groups. Also, sometimes we have block picker-uppers and block setters. So I'll have a couple of people sit by the shelf while other children hand them blocks and that person puts them back onto the shelf. And then another technique that we have used is uh, the person who's in charge of a shape. Put a person in charge of the unit blocks, somebody in charge of the doubles, somebody in charge of the butter sticks, somebody in charge of the triangles, and so on. Sometimes you have two or three kids doing the same thing if you need to. Uh, but there's a lot of technique to this. And something else I'd like to mention is the mindset of cleaning up. You know, I listened to a I listened to a video from a conference with teacher Tom and something that he said kind of stuck with me. And I bounced back and forth on how I feel about it um, because it's pretty untraditional. But he said, if I have 75% participation rate, then I'm happy. And this really stuck with me because I was like, look, yeah, you always have that like one or two kids who just can only handle doing two or three things and then they need to move on or they need to stop and they get overwhelmed by cleanup. Cleanup can be a really scary, kind of loud, kind of chaotic time. And if I have 75% of my class cleaning up on one day, then you know what? I think I'm pretty happy too. What we do just need to make sure of is that it's not the same few kids who are never helping. Right? Because one day somebody who's a super duper helper might not be having a good day. So the next day they can't really help that much or vice versa or things like that. So kind of having that understanding that today might not be somebody's day. So they might not be helping. I'm not going to force them. I also like to sometimes just do little tasks at a time. So, right. So we'll have somebody say, hey, you know what? I see you're having a hard day. We're all part of this classroom. We all help take care of the materials in classroom. So let's just pick up these five blocks. And then that way, you know what? Somebody's done something. They didn't get away from cleaning. They just got out of cleaning for the whole time because their little mind and their little body couldn't handle it today. And I think that that's okay. As long as you're not having the same kids over and over and over repeatedly doing that, then you can use these techniques. If you do have a repeat offender, then maybe you need to come up with something else. Sometimes repeat offenders, I like to plan ahead of time. Or the cleanup zones really, really help with that because they know they have a more focused area to clean up and it's not as scary. And digging down as to like why they're not cleaning up. Do they just hate it? Is it boring? Are they overwhelmed by it? Who knows? It could be anything. And so you just need to dig a little bit deeper if you have somebody who is just really, really against it. So I really hope that you enjoyed this episode and you are really, really thinking about cross-area play. I swear it will change your life and your children's lives, and it'll be really, really awesome. I know a lot of us are approaching the end of the year here, so if you're not thinking about it for this year, definitely take it into consideration for next year. And check out the article on NACI linked in the show notes. And I always have lots and lots of information on things like this on my Instagram, so definitely follow me there at prek.spot. And we'll see you next week.